Miss Marlou here. Ashley. You know how it goes. We are the professionals. We are back with another episode. We will get into our very special guest, Monique Dunn. But before that, we will get into our gratitude. Whew. Gratitude. I think I'll start. I'll start. I'll get into it. Yeah. I'll get into it. Okay. It's just been a lot of transitioning and, but in a good way, like in ways that I had asked for, even certain things from like five years ago that wow. I've asked for. And yes, and it's coming to fruition. And it's just like, this is new, but this is exciting. And I feel prepared. And I'm like, all right, Lord, you just, you just better make sure you're right there next to me on this walk. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, things are different. They're new, but. I like it and I'm happy that I'm I'm in the space where I can embrace it, accept it, and just like go with it. So I'm grateful for that growth and dreams realized, even if they're five years later. Yes. I think it's just time, right? We just never know the when. Like, when is it happening? I wanted this, but it's just all when timing like comes together with that. I love that. And I love transitions. They're scary, but they're exciting. I love that. (laughs) what i'm grateful for is actually just going away to costa rica i thought you were gonna go take that one marlu but i'll take that one that's a big one i am grateful yeah i'm grateful for going to costa rica really spending time in that country that we've been both wanting to visit for some time the locals were wonderful um the places are beautiful Food is great. It it gave me some time to reset and reevaluate and pivot if needed to new and better things. I had I had that time to myself to kind of relax and you know think of things for the future. So I'm excited for that moment of like that pause and reflect moment. So yes, yeah, for sure. And then. Monique, tell us what you're grateful for. for. I'm grateful for a lot of things right now. Yeah, I think there's a slight delay. So if I just seemed like I was staring into thin air, that's why. I'm grateful for a lot of things. Today, I'm just feeling really grateful for my team. I have a really wonderful team at Destination Therapy. We're a small team, but we're small and mighty. And it's just the little things, like the way that we encourage each other, the way that we check in with one another, the little moments of humor that we can have. Like we send voice notes to each other in Slack. And yesterday, uh, one of the therapists was sending me a voice note. And we're obviously just so comfortable with each other because she was obviously cooking in the background. And in the end, I just had to reply, girl, what are you cooking? Because you banging these dishes so loudly. Like, what's going on? And I was like, that's so nice that we're just like in our flow. And we've built these relationships where we feel comfortable, you know, doing what we need to do while we're sending our voice notes. So, yeah, just feeling really grateful for my team and the work we do and, and the sense of community that we're building together. I love that. We I love, love that. that. I love that small community you guys have with each other. Yeah. But before we even get into all about the destination therapy and your services, we have Monique Dunn here with us. She's a licensed clinical social worker. And our episode is about the imposter syndrome that I feel like 
many of our fellow professionals who follow us may encounter or experience. So let's talk about it. Let's just get right into it. So let's just go simple and just really talk about what is the imposter syndrome? You know, let's just start there for those who do not know. I love how you say the imposter syndrome. Like it's the thing, you know, (laughs) sounds really scary. (laughs) Yeah, I think imposter syndrome, you know, it's something that can show up in so many different ways. But the way that I think of it is this like overall looming feeling, this sense that I'm not good enough. I'm undeserving of my achievements. I'm not as great as people think. And I'm afraid that someone's going to find out. Like, I'm trying to live this mm-hmm. lie. I'm trying to live up to what people think. But deep down, I feel like an imposter. I feel like I don't belong here. And that's not a good feeling. And I think it's something as a therapist that I see a lot. I work with, work with a lot of professionals and I think when you get to a certain level of education or professional success whatever we're deeming success it can really creep up so it's something we really want to look out for and hopefully work on yeah yeah absolutely I mean how is it portrayed in people I guess in a professional setting or you know um, in their day-to-day life Like, what does it look like? Yeah, how does it look like in some people? Yeah, I think, you know, people struggling with imposter syndrome, it leads to a lot of self-doubt and self-questioning. And so, you know, there's that phrase, remember who you are. I think a lot of the process of overcoming it is remembering, like, how great you actually are, what you've actually achieved, what you've done to deserve a seat at all the tables that you get to sit at. And so it can show up at work can show up in your family and your relationships you can have imposter syndrome people might think of it as like a professional thing but you can have imposter syndrome in your relationship it can come up thinking that maybe you don't deserve this kind of love maybe I don't deserve these kind of friends maybe I didn't deserve the life that I have right so you can start it can show up by the questioning that's where it shows up and so if you're experiencing that or you know someone who has that habit of questioning then that's something we want to look out for because it can lead to anxiety depression, self-criticism, and it can just kind of spiral from that. Can we talk about how it seems to be, you know, very prevalent in, you know, people with higher education or, you know, women of color professionals? And like, why is that? Let's talk about it. Absolutely. I mean, I think we live in this society where our value as human beings, especially in the United States, is often based on our accomplishments or society's perceived accomplishments, right? So whether that's work, whether that's wealth, whether that's education, whether that's family, don't get me started on women being asked about when they're going to have kids, right? Whether that's fame, how many followers you have, all of these things are like credits that our society adds as value. And so I think that has a huge piece that, you know, it contributes massively to how we feel about our value and our worth and what we deserve. And as minorities, I think we're often taught that that we don't need, you know, that we need to work harder than our white counterparts. As women or femmes, we might be taught that we aren't as smart or we won't be as valued as our male counterparts. And I think 
that starts at a really young age. So like culturally, we're just absorbing all these messages. I need wealth. I need this job. I need this family, this education. And then we get there. What do we do with that? Mm. (laughs) It's hard to feel like we deserve it. So by the time we get to university or, you know, you get your like badass boss job in some professional or corporate setting, Mm -hmm. we might have already internalized a lot of these values, which can impact our sense of belonging. You know, this idea of where we deserve to be or what we deserve to have, but we do deserve a seat at the table. And so not feeling our belonging and our value and our place in this world really affects our well-being and our mental health and our relationships, I think. Hmm. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I feel that I have to, at work, always make sure I am perfect. Mm. I have to make sure I'm perfect. I have to do it right because I'm the Black woman there. So I have to show my worth 10 times more, (laughs) 20 times more if I can. I have to make sure I am the one who stands out. You know, and it took a long time for me to try to realize what I'm trying to do, although I still battle with it some days, just sharing how I I deal with it, just because it's just been so ingrained in me that, listen, you have to do it X, Y, and Z. You make sure you, you shine. You're a Black woman. And it's always been ingrained in me to make sure I am perfect. And it, Mm -hmm. it shows off. In every other sector of my life, not just work, I I feel like now this is more like good girl syndrome almost in a way. Like, I feel like I have to be good and perfect in every sector of my life, too, mm-hmm. as well. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm so hard on myself because of that as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm so happy that you like even mentioned how this affects, you know, us in different ways, you know, as well. Thank you for sharing Especially that. Especially as professional women. Yeah. 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 And so then, and, speaking of professional Sorry, go ahead. No, it's true. And I feel that that's what I've been realizing over the years. I'm like, what is perfect? What is Mm -hmm. it? And I feel like that Mm -hmm. has helped my anxiety in the workplace, in my personal life, (laughs) in other sectors of my life, you know, Mm -hmm. because I was always wound up with like anxiety, just aiming to be perfect. So, yeah. So um, speaking of perfectionism, Mm -hmm. how can it, speaking of that as well, my anxiety, I was, I was mentioning like how um, can perfectionism affect our mental health in other ways, you know, besides anxiety, is there anything else? Yeah. I want to go back to what you said, you know, just about this idea that feeling like you have to be perfect. And for me, it's hard to talk about imposter syndrome without talking about institutionalized racism without talking about internalized racism and without talking about perfectionism Mm. so the fact that you brought perfectionism in I think is perfect because I think you know that messaging that you received a lot of minorities receive that kind of messaging and I think our parents and our caregivers give that messaging with love right because they want us to survive and they want us to do well but it's really unfair, right? And it's from the fact that we're having to navigate within this system that is institutionally racist, right? Whether it's our work system, our political system, our education system, 
So I just want to honor that, what you're saying, but also, you know, remembering why we're given that message, that it's a message that's unfair, but it's like often given with love, but it has so much weight, yeah. so much weight, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so much weight. Yeah. I think it's so, I think it's so interesting that especially nowadays when black women are the most educated in the United States, like I feel like maybe 10 years ago, I didn't know this term, but now that I do, and I feel like it's almost like as we're making greater strides, this is coming out more into the forefront. Absolutely. Oh, it's coming out. The majority of the minority women that I see as a therapist they're coming to me because I serve clients with anxiety, perfectionism, and burnout. That's why they're here. And we booked some busy. So it's happening. It's everywhere, right? And we need support. Like it's a lot to carry. Um, yeah. So going to your question actually about like how perfectionism can affect our mental health, I think while it isn't a mental illness, we use something called the DSM-5 to diagnose, right? We get a little purple book out. And if you have a mental health diagnosis or you're going to a therapist and using your insurance, they're going to pick one from that book, right? So while it's not considered, you're not going to see perfectionism in there. It's a common factor in some mental health challenges like OCD, anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, yeah. low criticism, uh, self-criticism. You know, it all they can intertwine. And I think a key trend is that perfectionists tend to judge themselves very, very harshly, especially when they're experiencing what they consider failure. And I say what they consider because that's very subjective, right? But it can still feel like mm -hmm. the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering too, in, in the midst of all that too, like social anxiety as well. Mm -hmm. How does mm -hmm. that like overlap with imposter syndrome too? Yeah, so this was... Yeah, this is something I was thinking about before I call like social anxiety. I think some people think of social anxiety as like, oh, I just can't be in big groups or like get on a stage or something. But it can show up in different ways, right? Sometimes it's a little more discreet. And so I wrote some notes. I was trying to think about how they overlap. So I think there's three different types of perfectionism, right? So You've got like the self-oriented perfectionism where it's more directed at you, yourself, and that we can, you know, you've got a therapist on your podcast and like that's linked with caregiver criticism or a sense of rejection from your caregivers, right? Which hopefully if you go <laughs> to therapy, you can explore that more, right? So we've absorbed criticism from other people and because of that, we can like end up being a very harsh sense of judgment on ourselves we we lend that heart sense of judgment on ourselves then there's like the other focused perfectionism and this is where we might try and get somebody else to be perfect maybe that's what our parents yeah. were doing to us right so you've got these unrealistic expectations and demands Ooh. on these other people usually to avoid our own pain and that can look like micromanaging that can look like being maybe a little controlling and then we've got like the more socially prescribed perfectionism. So this comes from either real or imagined beliefs about what other people expect from you, right? Mm -hmm. So I've got these ideas about what Ashley and Lou expect of me, right? 
And so I think I need to meet those expectations every single day, every single moment to get approval, to be accepted, to have a sense of belonging. And sometimes those ideas we have aren't even based in reality. We just think everyone expects these things of us. And I think that third type of perfectionism, that socially prescribed perfectionism, can definitely increase that sense of imposter syndrome and how you view yourself socially, which then I think can impact the social anxiety. So that's a very long-winded answer. But I think like I see you nodding that like breaking it down that way, it, it makes complete sense why it would impact your, your level of anxiety, right? Especially socially. If you're walking around thinking all of these people have these expectations of me. Ooh, that is a vicious cycle. Yeah. It is, but it can be broken. <laughs> but it, it is. It can, it can be. There's hope. Yeah. And it's interesting because like that last one, like I feel like it's almost like you're kind of people pleasing in a way, right? Like you're mm-hmm. you're trying to really accommodate or put yourself in a way that you're having a sense of belonging and want and just being wanted. And you're really Ooh, that this can get messy. <laughs> just thinking about it, just that Go ahead. Go there. What can I do? Like even it can go into like even codependency like it's just all interwoven i just see how it can be all interwoven how the impo- you're making me realize how much the imposter syndrome like imposter syndrome can really be multifaceted mm-hmm. and it, it really yeah. affects many areas, many areas in our lives you know for sure yeah and i so. think you know it's not about chicken or the egg it's like if you're experiencing these things if left unchecked, like it can lead to other issues, right? It can lead to you not doing well. Mm. Wow. So we were talking about how it can be fixed. I'm blown away. <laughs> we were talking about how it can be fixed. Or you were mentioning that. So how can one start working on better coping mechanisms? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With this? I think there's lots of different things that we can do to try and combat it and if someone's listened to this podcast and they've stayed tuned to this point you know if they are struggling with this hopefully that means that it's in their awareness right and I think practicing mindfulness is an incredible tool that anyone can use learning to listen Mm. to the voice in your head without doing everything it tells you to do being mindful and learning to pause before acting on whatever that impulse is to people please or to do something because of an expectation we're putting on ourselves or we think others are putting on us. That can help us pause and make better decisions that are actually healthier for us. And over time, you know, mindfulness is a great practice. There's apps, there's YouTube. You can speak to a therapist who will help teach you mindfulness-based skills, but you can learn to look at you know, that internal dialogue more objectively and stop believing the negative things that it might be telling you, right? Because that's what we want. Having the thought is one thing. Acting on it and believing it is where we can really lose ourselves um, and experience more serious like symptoms of like mental health conditions. Um, so I think mindfulness would be my first suggestion. I'm going to talk about therapy. But the second one I'll say is Moving your body. How the heck does moving your body connect to perfectionism and imposter syndrome? What's going on? But I think 
exercise can be a form of mindfulness, being attuned with your body, maybe being attuned with some symptoms of anxiousness, you know, if you're struggling socially, like being attuned with your body, um, and it can help calm your mind and exhaust any excess anxious energy that you, you know, could maybe be feeding perfectionism or feeding your anxiety or feeding your depression. So um, just for general, like, well-being, I think moving your body doesn't have to be a spin class. It doesn't have to be a 10-mile run, but just going for a walk, getting off your phone, looking at the trees, right? That would be another thing that I would suggest, and I suggest to, like, all of my clients, if they're able to, to also do. I love that. I, I, I love that. I feel yeah. that um, something that we should all try to incorporate in our lives, just that routine, um, just that mindfulness and taking a step back, moving our bodies. It really helps us holistically in itself too as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously I can't talk about these things without putting a plug for therapy, right? Yes. Yes. You know, going to see a therapist who you feel gets you, who can hold space for you without judgment, who can help you process maybe some of the prior experiences that have maybe contributed to how you're feeling, how you view yourself, your relationships, your relationship with yourself. And Mm -hmm. if this is an issue, then to get a better handle of your inner critic. So. I think just noticing and stopping negative thoughts and behaviors that might be limiting your happiness, limiting your self, sense of self-worth and getting insight into like your self-criticism, finding ways to release that and have ne- less negative self-talk is huge. I believe that's a really great way to utilize therapy. And, you know, there's a, still a lot of stigma, I think especially within minority communities around seeking out support for your mental health. But like we here, we're doing it. There's black therapists, there's all types of BIPOC therapists, there's white therapists, there's LGBTQ plus therapists. You know, I think finding a therapist that you can just feel seen can make a lot of a difference. Oh, it can. And we know you are doing that great, great work at Destination Therapy. Thank you. I love what we do. And please tell us the services you have. Yeah. So I know y'all are in New York. I actually used to live in New York. And I moved to Houston a couple of years ago and last year launched Destination Therapy. And I wanted it to be a place where clients can come and I mean, you go on our website, it's right there. This is anti-racist practice. We provide culturally affirming care. And it's one thing saying it, but I want people to feel it. So I try to be very intentional in the care that we provide, in the trainings we go to, in the way that we talk about our clients. And we provide individual therapy. We provide couples therapy for clients in the states of New York, Texas, and Massachusetts right now. Um, I'm about to start hiring again, so maybe it'll be more states, but we're based in Houston, but hello, telehealth. So we can serve clients in any of the states where, as licensed providers, we are licensed. Thank goodness. And yeah, we love what we do. We have a dope little small team. We're slowly growing, and I'm doing that slowly, intentionally, to build a space where clinicians can feel safe too. 
and feel valued because a lot of therapists are burnt out and I'm not trying to do that to people. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So if you're struggling with anxiety, burnout, perfectionism, identity issues, any of those things, especially stuff we talked about today, then destination therapy might be a fit. And we, we offer free consultations. So often, you know, if we have a client who's not a good fit, we don't just leave them in the lurch. We'll try and give them a couple of referrals or point them in the right direction. We're all about find the, finding the right fit not just getting as many clients as possible. Individualized care is really important to us. So if you're not sure, just book a free consultation and see if we can help you. I think that's like the big step is just reaching out to someone. So we're here to help. And tell us where can we find you? Yes. So our website is thedestinationtherapy.com. So finding us on our website is probably the easiest way to connect with us, read the clinician bios, see who you want to book with. You can book instantly. You can look at our schedules. It's all connected. It's super easy. We try to make it as easy as possible. And then we also have Instagram. We'll link that as well. And you can feel free to reach out to us. And, you know, we want to help people get help. So whether it's for you, someone you care about, we have our info. Thank you so much, everyone. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, let us know your thoughts. Thank Please you. reach Thank out you. to the Destination Therapy if you feel like you have any needs. So let us know, everyone. Um, join join us on the on the conversation below. Like, subscribe, comment, and yeah, yeah. Thank you, Moni, for joining us. Thank Until you. Until so next much time, everyone. Me.